Well, good morning. <laughs> We've been studying this series called Life Is, and uh, we are in chapter 2 this week of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and our friend Solomon really took that video to heart. He did nothing in moderation, that's for sure. Uh, you know, he had a pursuit in his life, and uh, in Ecclesiastes, his pursuit was for happiness. You know, the Declaration of Independence tells us that we are have this right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm sure that everybody in this room would like to be pursuing happiness in their life. But in reality, he was saying he was trying to pursue happiness under the sun. And if you remember what Pastor Scott said last week, the under the sun means that he was pursuing life without God. And for many of us, when we pursue life without God, we're not going to be happy. We're going to find ourselves in despair. And so Solomon decides that he's going to set on this journey to prove to all of us that seeking pleasure and happiness is not where it's at. It's really about pursuing God. So we're going to dive into this particular uh, chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. And uh, follow along with me as we read it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. It's right after Psalms. He said this, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Pleasure is equal to happiness, essentially. He said, laughter, he said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well to delight a man heart, man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Life under the sun. That's what he was really describing. And in verse 1, he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find what is good. So he set out on a journey to experience every kind of pleasure you can think of. And so we're going to walk through this list of things that he did in order to find his pursuit of happiness in life. But it was trying to do it under the sun, which is oftentimes that we do as well. So look at the first verse, verse 2. He said, I, laughter, I said, was foolish. And then in verse 8, he said, I acquired men and women singers. He tried entertainment. Do we try entertainment in our culture today to figure out how we can find joy and happiness? It might be video games. It might be uh, Netflix. It might be the television. It might be concerts. Whatever that is, sometimes we look for entertainment as to solve our problem of our sadness and our despair in life. But he tries entertainment. That's the first thing he tries. You know, and I, I think about laughter and how important it is in our lives. That's really true. But I wonder how well it worked for Robin Williams. You know, laughter's great. And if you remember that old Read, Reader's Digest section where it says laughter is the best medicine, it is great. It's great to be able to laugh sometimes, but it's not the answer 
when it's under the sun, S-U-N. So he goes on to the next thing, and he says, I tried cheering myself up with wine. So what he tried to do is he said, I'm going to switch from entertainment. I'm going to try a little alcohol. I'm going to try that because that seems to be a part of my life, and, and I want to have a little wine to just enjoy life. But, you know, I looked up some statistics on alcoholism. It's pretty scary. 88,000 deaths a year are caused by alcoholism. Sometimes we don't consider alcohol as a drug, but in reality it is. It says 30 people die every day in motor vehicle accidents due to DUI. 30 people a day. This one statistic was a little startling to me. It said 17% of men and 8% of women will have alcohol addiction in their life. Some of you maybe have experienced that. Sometimes we look to alcohol to settle our nerves, to to de-stress and to relax. But it's not the answer, is it, under the sun? So he tries something else. He decides that he's going to try accomplishments. And so in verses 4 or 5, here's what he says. He said, I undertook great projects. And those projects were all kinds of things that he wanted to accomplish in his life. And so when you read about it, you really discover that everything is an I. He said, I planted vineyards. I planted built, I built houses. I made gardens and parks. I made reservoirs. I planted fruit trees. He wanted to accomplish things in his life, so he had all these projects that he threw himself into to try to find some sort of pleasure in his life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we do the same thing. We throw ourselves into our hobbies and our projects, and we we just find ourselves buried in those, and we find joy and pleasure in it. But under the sun, it can all be meaningless. And so accomplishments, and I know we can look back in our lives, for many of us who are older, we can look back on various accomplishments that we've made, and it kind of brings joy to us, but it goes really pretty much unnoticed the day we die. So accomplishments, he throws that in. Then he talks about his possessions. This is mind-boggling when you think about it. He said, I bought male and female slaves, had slaves born in my house. I also own more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed gold for myself. He, he had so much wealth, it was unbelievable. In fact, in today's modern-day terms, he makes Warren Buffett look like nothing, like a poor man. Most scholars believe that Solomon was at least worth $2.1 trillion dollars. This guy was a wealthy, wealthy man, probably the wealthiest man that ever lived. In fact, I did a little research. This is really interesting. This is interesting. On a daily basis, it took 180 bushels of flour, 60 bushels of meal, 30 head of cattle, 100 sheep and goats, just to feed his household every day. I mean, this guy, you talk about moderation, he didn't even know what moderation was. I mean, he lived in excess day in and day out, and he found yet it meaningless to him as long as it was done under the sun when God wasn't a part of it. Then he moves on to something else. He moves on to sex. He said, I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. Do you know he had over 700 concubines? I I don't know how the guy pulled it off, to be honest with you. Um, You know, we have a tendency to do that in our own lives. And you know how we do that? Pornography. These are some staggering things as well. Do you know that 70% of Christian men 
under the age of 50 have viewed pornography at least once a month? We're trying to find fulfillment somewhere. They say that pornography basically is based upon a lack of intimacy in relationships. And so men and women both, there's 20% of Christian women are involved in pornography as well. Trying to find some sort of intimacy in their pursuit of being happier and more pleasurable. We think about bad marriages and how they've spawned extramarital affairs. And we have this grass is greener mentality in life. And so we think that maybe finding another person in our lives is going to give us that happiness. And here's a guy that exploited it to the nth degree. I think of a guy like Robert Kraft, who had everything, the owner of the the New England Patriots. And then they find him in this scandalous place in prostitution during the Super Bowl. I mean, we're looking for something there, and it's not going to give us any kind of satisfaction. And becomes an addiction rather than something that God designed it to be. So he tries sex as well. But then he moves on. He says, you know what? That was disappointing, so I I tried power. In verse 9, he says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I mean, he had more power, more authority than any other person on the planet during that period of time. And yet, that power did not really make a difference in terms of his own life and satisfaction. You know, we all want to be in control, and power feels pretty good. But sometimes when we get in control, when we're at the top of the heap, that power can be very devastating. You know, as a a senior pastor for many years in my church down in the valley, you know, it all looks good when you're the guy on the top. But when you're a guy on the top and you, quote, have a lot of power or control or influence, it can be a very lonely place to be. And here was a man that was so powerful, he didn't even find that joy or that happiness in power. It was disappointing to him, again, under the sun, as you went. But then he turns to work. He says, my heart took delight in all my work. Some of you have spent a lifetime, many of you are retired, and you spent a lifetime pouring yourself into work. I was with a friend yesterday I was playing golf with, and he was telling me even, um, you know, men seem to find their identity in their work, but he was sharing with me yesterday that his wife just got laid off. She was a regional manager in a mortgage company, and she thought, well, I'm going to retire early. And after retiring uh, or being forced to retire because her job was discontinued, she was bored and felt like, who am I anymore? And for some of you, maybe you felt that way. You poured yourself into work and you say, you know what, for what? Yeah, I'm retired, but somehow that I found my identity in that and that just didn't bring all the joy it did at the time. But right now, it's just kind of, it's, it's a little frustrating for me. So what does he say in verse 10 as he kind of bottom lines this whole thing of all these things he tried in excess. He said, verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Now, all of us in this room do not have the capacity to do that, right? Nothing, because he had it all. And yet, he was still disappointed. What does he said? But his heart was still what? In despair. Why? He hated life under the sun under the sun he hated life without the presence of god being there on a continuing basis and therefore he was frustrated his life was in despair and you think how could this guy be in despair he had it all and yet in many ways we too have it all and i'm wondering how disappointing life can be to us because the title of our message today is life is disappointing well you know as i read this 
Um, and I heard Scott's message last week, and it can be a downer. You say, well, then, if, if this is all there is, then what about life? Where, where do we go from here? And so I thought, how does Jesus feel about happiness? What does he say about it? And so I went to Matthew chapter 5, and I discovered that Jesus was very clear on how we truly find happiness under the S-O-N. We need to learn how to live life under the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. And so I want to take you to Matthew chapter 5 this morning as a counter to this life of despair that Solomon was dealing with. And we're going to go to verse 3 of chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, pull that up. But he says, all these are the, quote, Beatitudes, which basically are these principles that Jesus lays out to find happiness. And so each one of these Beatitudes starts with the word blessed. And that word blessed means happy. So he's saying happy is the man who blank, blank, blank. So we're going to look at this as an alternative. And the first one that he writes about um, is that your attitude determines your altitude. And that's why we call them the Beatitudes. But here's what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So he starts out with an incredibly important statement. He's saying, look, happiness can only be found when we recognize our need for God. In fact, Solomon closes his, summarizes his chapter. He says, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? I'm going to ask the guys to come out and bring an illustration to you this morning because I think this is really important. I discovered over my lifetime, and I'm sure you can too, that our life is very compartmentalized. And if you look at these ice cubes in this particular picture, you're going to notice that each one of these ice cubes maybe represents one of those areas that we try to find pleasure under the sun, right? And what happens to a lot of us as believers is that we stick all these ice cubes or all these compartmentalized in our life, and then we just add one more ice cube, and it's called God. So we throw that into the mix. And when we do that, what happens is he can get buried in all of the stuff that we try to find pleasure under the sun. And when he gets buried under that, we end up, instead of being a follower of Jesus, we become a fan of Jesus. And so what happens is we have, we have this compartmentalization, just like we saw in the video, that we can do anything we want to in excess of the week, but maybe on Sunday we'll make, make sure that the ice cube gets some sort of clarity and some sort of attention, right? And I think there's too many Christians out there today who don't understand what it is to live life under the S-O-N. And so I thought about it for a long time, and I discovered this illustration that I think is really effective, because if we're going to live life under the sun, we need to pour Jesus into all of those areas of our life, and how quickly those ice cubes melt away. And as those ice cubes melt, melt away, there's this great scripture in, in, in Colossians chapter 3 that says, once those ice cubes melt away, who do you see? Who do you see in here? Jesus. 
You see, if we don't live our lives integrated with Jesus Christ and Jesus not penetrating and saturating every area of those lives, those, those very things that are on the list, which none of them are bad in and of themselves, but when you pour Jesus into it, all of a sudden it brings meaning and joy and happiness in our lives because he is impacting every single area of our life. And pretty soon, when he impacts every single area of our lives, what do people see on the street? What do people see at work? What do they see in our family life? What do they see in our marriage? They see Jesus. That's what he's saying here. If you want to be happy, let Christ impact every area of your life and allow him to dissolve those things into one so that whatever they see is Jesus himself. Amen? So when he starts out in the Beatitudes and he says happiness can only be found when we recognize our need for God, we need him in every area of our life to be able to impact our our life and also the impact the life of others. He goes to the second one, second attitude, verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So he's saying, happy are those who know how much God cares about them. You see, we're all going to struggle in life. Scripture says, don't be surprised when you encounter various trials, right? He says that in James chapter 1. So there are times in our lives where we're going to grieve, we're going to have frustration, we're going to have issues, we're going to hurt. But he says, the happy guy is the one that realizes that in the midst of all that, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we said, when he said, blessed are those who are comforted so that you can comfort others. So he's saying, even though you may be struggling with some things, you can find joy in that because you know that Jesus hasn't left you, that he still loves you, that he still cares about you. For some of us this morning, that's really hard for us to swallow. But in reality, that's where Jesus is at. So then we go to verse five. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I say this is happy people are humble people. Have you ever met a happy person who's narcissistic? <laughs> I remember counseling a lady one time back in, in the day when I was uh, pastor in my church. And um, I spent hours trying to counsel this gal, and it just was really frustrating. And so one day I said, you know what? You're just an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Didn't go over very well. But she was narcissistic and she had an ego problem maybe in a reverse order but it wasn't about humility it was about her and sometimes we forget you know entitled people are not happy people when we think it's all about my rights and it's all about me which is what our culture is driving to us every single day right it's not about humility it's about pride it's about taking pride we've just gone through we're going through a whole month of gay pride it's, it's it's all about that it's all about me and so he's saying look you want to be happy don't make it about you make it about god remember that book purpose-driven life remember the first chapter of any of you read it he said the first thing in the first chapter of purpose-driven life he says just remember life is not about you it's about god goes back to our illustration Then he goes on into verse, the next verse, whatever that verse is, verse 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's pretty simple here. Happy people have a desire to do what's right. Is it the right thing to do? 
Is it the right thing to do morally? Is it the right thing to do with our wealth? Is it the right thing to do sexually? Is it the right thing to do when it comes to success? Is it the right thing to do? We constantly need to be reminded in our lives that if I'm going to be happy, I need to do the right thing. Not just say that I'm going to do the right thing, but I need to be obedient to the right thing. And I don't know about you, but when you do the right thing, don't you feel good about it? Don't you feel like, yeah, I'm doing what God wants me to do. That's the right thing to do. And so he said, look, if you want to be happy, do the right thing. Stop doing the wrong things. You know know better than that. Verse 7. He says, happy or blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy people know how to forgive. The most unhappy people I have met in my career as a pastor over the last 40 years are people who don't know how to forgive. For some of you this morning, you're not happy because you still are hanging on to some wound that has hurt you in the past and you've never really forgiven it. And it's eaten you up. And then you wonder why you're not a happy person. A lot of anger issues, I think, in our culture today are a result of unresolved wounds of the past. And so we've never forgiven those wounds. We've never dealt with them. We've never confronted them. And so we're extremely unhappy, and it comes out in anger and frustration. And he says, look, if you want to be a happy person, forgive, just like Christ forgave us. And how did he forgive us? When we were what? Messed up in our sinful life, right? You've heard that story many times that when you think you're holding the other person hostage to your unforgiveness, you're holding yourself hostage. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I call this happy people lead genuine lives. Happy people. Have you ever noticed people who have nothing to prove and nothing to lose seem to be a lot happier? You see, when you have something to lose and something to prove, you're in this performance mode all the time. Got to go, go, go. And you push yourself, and sometimes it leads to a lack of genuineness where you're not really authentic, you're not really true to yourself, and so consequently you're not really a genuine person. And I find out, find that I just, our people are so refreshing to me when I see their, their authenticity and their transparency. It just, it just really makes me happy to watch. And I'm thinking they're a lot happier because they're real. They're authentic. In fact, they're saying today that one of the problems in the church today is that people aren't coming to church because they don't think people are being authentic. We all put on our masks. But if you want to be happy... I know there's been a, it's been a, a long road for myself. I, I, you can talk to Jamie about this because we're good friends and we both are recovering people pleasers. And when you're a people pleaser, sometimes you're not really genuine, are you? You're going to say, uh, you know, the right thing at the right time to try to make people like you or to appreciate you. And wouldn't it be nice just to say some days that I got nothing to prove and nothing to lose. Why? Because Jesus loves me just the way I am. Verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy people value healthy relationships. Have you ever met a codependent person? No matter what the other person does, it 
basically translates into them reacting to that. You know what I'm saying? They're codependent. And so, you know, they'll do anything to please the other person, make compromises, rationalize, do whatever in order to be accepted. And consequently, it becomes a very unhealthy relationship where one is taking and one is always giving. And that's not a healthy relationship. And maybe some of you are pursuing those kinds of relationships in your life where you just feel like you're being codependent. You're enabling all the time, maybe bad behavior, and you wonder why you're not happy. Sometimes we have to draw the line and exercise tough love to have healthy relationships. We have to have compromise. We have to be able to talk things out. We have to find middle ground at times. And so he's saying, if you want to be happy, start hanging out with the right people and stop making poor choices in the area of your relationships. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't say happy are those who are persecuted because they're a bunch of jerks. Right? What did he say? He said, happiness comes when you are persecuted for the, doing the right thing. In other words, happy people live a life of integrity. In other words, happy people have convictions. They draw lines in their life. They have boundaries. And when you don't have boundaries, you start having these kind of relationships like I just described where, it's co- where there's codependency. So he's saying, listen, happy people, what they say and what they do adds up. Why? Because they have drawn lines in the sand between them and God where they have indeed a conviction and people respect that in a person's life and we need to operate that way. But if we're always compromising, we end up becoming hypocritical, lukewarm, and we have no effectiveness when it comes to being salt and light in this world today. So he's saying, if you want to be happy, live a life of integrity. Start having convictions. Start drawing lines. You see, the difference between living life under S-U-N and S-O-N is that one talks about doing things and the B attitudes talk about decisions that we make that affects our character. These things that he was talking about in terms of finding pleasure, all all these things that are outside of us in a sense that we're trying to make us feel better. But we sing about Beatitudes, it's from the inside out, not the outside in. And so when we pour Jesus into it, we're going to be a lot happier, amen? Let me ask you some questions. Which sun are you living under? Let's be honest this morning. Which sun are you living under? S-U-N or S-O-N? Oh, for some of you, it might be some like middle ground where you were the person that maybe throws the ice cube at least into the pitcher. But somehow it gets buried there. Jesus gets buried there until Sunday, right? You know, I call that a fan, not a follower of Jesus Christ. See, you can be a fan and come to the game on Sunday morning and sing and worship and leave. That's being a fan. But a follower, you take Jesus into every area of your life. It impacts everything we do and say, decisions that we make. That's life under the S-O-N. So which son 
in all honesty, do you live under? And then I thought, which area of your life, which ice cube that went into that picture in your life, you have not surrendered under the S-O-N? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your wealth? Your possessions? Is it relationships? Is it your sexual area of your life? Which ice cube still hasn't been impacted by the S-O-N? These are questions I think we have to answer this morning. Let me give you some next steps as I come to an end of this. The first one is this. I think we all need to determine which pursuit of pleasure most often gets in the way of our relationship with God. Which one of those in that list? Do you want to go back through Ecclesiastes 2 and look at that list? One of the uh, interesting things is that I didn't add to the list was he talks about wisdom later on. And I think that for some people, our intellect gets in the way of our faith. So anyways, what gets in the way of your relationship with God? Secondly, consider surrendering that pursuit back to God. Say, okay, I've discovered what it is. You know, I got to be honest. It might be more than one. But you're saying, you know what? That's an area of my life that Jesus has not saturated. He's not impacted. He's not changed. He's not had any kind of relevance there. And then finally, where do I need to make a little play in words, a beatitude adjustment? When you look at those areas of happiness, which one do you struggle with? You know, your life is living under the sun. That's the desire of your heart. But there are days where I have something to prove and something to lose. There's days where Maybe I lack integrity and I've stepped over the line and compromised. Discover what that is and surrender that. Confess that to the Lord. And what's really cool about confession and repentance, I'm a lot happier guy when I do that. I don't know about you. It's struggle getting there. It's kind of like the tunnel of chaos, you know what I mean? But once you get there and you realize that forgiveness is on the other end of that, you're a lot happier person. So I'm going to ask you to think about it this morning. And if you feel like this morning God is speaking to you, I would encourage you to do more than just allow it to penetrate your heart this morning. I'd like for you to have it penetrate your feet. What I mean by that is, we're going to do a closing song here in a minute. And if you feel like there's an area of your life that needs to be impacted this morning and you've kind of gotten convicted about that, would you be willing to come down here and just surrender that to the Lord this morning? Would you be willing to do that? There's some of you here this morning that, to be honest, you're you're a fan. And you're kind of like the, the video, right? You're kind of hanging out all week and God hasn't even impacted anything in your life and then you show up here on Sunday and that's good, but he's just become another ice cube. The scripture says to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you.
So wherever you're at this morning, I would encourage you to just come down here and join me. I had to wrestle with all these this week. It's harder when you have to repair it, you know, and then it just kind of nails you in the gut. But I want to encourage you to think about that this morning. And don't be embarrassed. Just come down here and say, you know what? This is an area of my life. I'm going to give it to you again, Lord. I've maybe given it to you before, but I just want you to know that my heart's sincere. I confess it, and this is where it's going. If that's the desire of your heart, I would appreciate you do that. Let's pray. God, it's, it's amazing how a guy like Solomon brought this example to our heads and our hearts. It's, it's just amazing how a guy who had it all proved to us that having it all isn't what it is, but isn't worth anything. And it's all meaningless if it's only under the S-U-N. But God, I pray for that person this morning that perhaps has been kind of pricked in their heart, convicted about something in their life where they feel like, you know, that needs to change. That, there's something here that needs to be transformed. I've been fighting some of these things in my life for a long time. And this morning, I just want to stick a stake in the ground. I want to get out of my seat this morning, and I want to come down here. I want to kneel before you, God, and surrender. God, give him the courage to do that, the conviction to do that, the nothing to prove, nothing to lose attitude. I'm coming down here, God, because you have told me and have spoken to me this morning, and I want to respond. So, Lord, we lift these next few moments up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.